Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Run for the Song Podcast. Hi guys, welcome to episode 15 of Drum for the Song Podcast. I am your host, Dane Campbell. Today's guest is the amazing Russell Gilbrook from Uriah Heap, who are celebrating their 50th year this year. How incredible is that? But yes, Russell is amazing. His enthusiasm for the drums and music is absolutely second to none. If you're a drummer, he's got some incredible advice for you and some tips. If you're not a drummer, you're just going to love this anyway because he's such a great guy and he's so entertaining. So I had to get him on the show. So I hope you enjoy this guest guest straight to it. Hey guys, this is Drum for the Song podcast. I'm here with Russell Gilbrook today. Russell is the drummer in Uriah Heap and he's modeling his t-shirt for you, if you for those of you who are watching on YouTube. How's it going, Russell? <laughs> yes, nice to meet you, Dane. Yeah, very nice. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's really nice to meet you. And your name has come up a few times with some of my other guests on when they've mentioned drummers that have been a big influence to themselves and drummers that they think are really good. And um, I was flicking through my Facebook a couple of weeks ago, and then one of the drum ed videos came up of you doing rock shuffles. Oh, right. And I was like, that's Russell. I got to get him on. Let's get him on as soon as possible. Because <laughs> um, yeah, Mike Keaton has been on the on the show. He was on a few months ago. So mm. um, from he does the drum ed thing. So no, it's a really good channel. And um, I think your contribution to it is awesome. So I'm going to check out some of the other videos. And I advise our listeners and our viewers to do the same. Because I think you've got some good lessons for... Well, anyone who plays drums anyway, and you're very entertaining. That's, that was the one thing I was like, oh my God, this guy's this guy is hilarious. Like your charisma was amazing. And it made it a lot, a lot more unique compared to other drum videos, which I can find can be really like boring. They're too technical maybe. And they're, they're too based on notation. And I think they need some someone like you to draw people in and to keep them interested. So I think, I think they're really good. So I'd advise anyone to check those out and uh, yeah, let's go from there. So firstly, how are you? You're okay then? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fed up, obviously bored and fed up. And you just want to get out there and do it because you know, when you, when music's been your whole life and you've been playing your whole life and it's stripped away, it's a, it can be very depressing and um mm. you know we all need music in our lives because it's such a, an amazing connection emotionally and mentally that we need it totally agree and um for yourself if you've been doing it your entire life i'm sure it's hit you a lot harder than i guess someone like me that i i guess i've been playing all my life but i've only done it professionally for the last few years um obviously last year was a write-off um mm. uh, my band we were meant to have our busiest summer ever and it didn't happen so were you, were you guys meant to be busy last year oh yeah we got i was supposed to have gone to russia for a three-week tour oh, wow. and three weeks before we went out there it got cancelled this was in march um and uh it's all been cancelled ever since uh, yeah it's pretty much the standard story but russia yeah. that's interesting you've got a good following there then 
Yeah, massive following because Uriah Heep was the first Western band to ever tour that part of um, uh, the world, certainly Russia, in 1987. Oh, wow. And they did two, uh, did 10 shows, 250,000 people, and uh, it really <laughs> did go down well. And, and, you know, the people out there under the regime they were under were really uh, struggling uh, mentally themselves. And it was Uriah Heep's music that really helped them through a lot of bad times and it's been very special uh the connection between russia and um ui heap ever since yeah oh that's a fantastic story and i think mm. i guess very few bands well the, the bands that i've come across have ever had a, ho- a heavy touring schedule over there they might go out mm. to moscow for a show or um something like that but um I've, I've certainly not been there and i'd love to go there um but yeah that's that's a really great story so that's cool and I was yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. The, pe- the people are very, very emotional with their music and uh, it really does have the most amazing connection and they really let you know about it. A bit, it's a bit like uh, the Brazilians as well. They're right. another another lot that really get quite emotional and so did a great, well, in fact, a lot of people do, but yeah, uh, yeah. the ones that sort of get a little bit more into it, I mean, they're shaking and crying when they're meeting you. The Russians, the Brazilians, the Greeks, yeah, they, they tend to really go... A bit Maybe. mental over it, <laughs> yeah, which is one. nice for us because yeah. it's very, it's very, um, you know, that's the kind of connection you want with your audience. That's what makes all of those boring journeys in 14 airports and 30 hours on a tour bus. It makes all that boring stuff worthwhile to get that connection that night with those people to make their night feel that special in their life. That's it, it's priceless. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I've ever only ever done it on a smaller scale, I suppose, but yeah, it's, it's such a great feeling. And when you get to, I don't know if you do a lot of mingling after the shows or before the shows with fans and stuff. I, I really love meeting fans of the band and, um, and yeah, it's an amazing feeling how much your music means to them. And especially mm-hmm. when they experience it in a live setting, I think, um, yeah, it's really special. And yeah, one place I've never been, play a show is brazil and one place i would love to go yeah is brazil and the rest of south america because a lot of people that i know have said that they love it so much oh they're so 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 passionate passionate about it oh unbelievably so we did sao paulo about um oh i'm guessing now i could probably get it wrong all the heat fans will know i'm terrible with those (laughs) let's just just say um um what can we say (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, maybe seven years ago, something okay. like that. Six, six seven years ago. That's but nice. anyway, it's 100, 120, my biggest audience ever, 120,000 people. Oh, wow. It, it, <laughs> it went back six six kilometres, the people <laughs> went back six kilometres. And the I tell you what, the atmosphere, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a, a different kind of, but people say, wow, wow, wow. But sometimes actually playing in front of 2,000 in one of these rock clubs can actually be better because you can smell and see their faces and all that bit where all you're seeing is a sea of heads, which is incredible in itself, but a completely different thing. But the atmosphere was just amazing. Um, and again, as I said, they just live every every note and every word, every lyric. That's fantastic. So, um, well... I'd love to see one of those shows one day. I'll fly out to mm. Brazil or something and come and watch you. But um, yeah, yeah. Let's, talk, let's talk about because I don't know a lot. I don't know a hell of a lot about you, to be honest, Russell. So I'm going to okay. grill you a little bit now. Um, how did your drum journey begin then, and who were your biggest influences at the beginning? Right. Well, 
basically, I was born playing the drums, according to my mum and dad. I was born <laughs> with club feet. I was born with club feet. My feet were born upside down and inside out. Um, and so I used to, uh, before I had operation, drag myself along to the cupboard, get out a plastic bowl, get two teaspoons and start tapping out the melodies. Obviously, I couldn't tap out the drum part because being that young, I had no idea. So I used to just tap to the rhythm of, of the vocal I could hear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it went on went on for them. Now, I was the first person in the world to have this particular operation on my feet. So wow. it was an experiment. And um, luckily for me, obviously, it worked out, which is great. But I don't have any ankle movement. So I have to play oh, right. like I'm stomping. So right. when I play double pedal, I can't. I can't ever play flat-footed because my foot won't go, won't, won't lift up like this. It won't pivot. So I have to play with a ball of foot down with my heel raised so high, and then I have to stomp. So I'm no good at thrash metal bands that play for five, six minutes at 200 BPM because yeah, it's, it's like, impo- a, like someone sprinting. Yeah, yeah sprinting yeah. for three miles. You can't do it. So I, I tend to use it in a slightly different manner. Um, but... It's allowed me, obviously, to play the drums and have a fantastic career, which I, I adore. So from the age of two, I started doing that. And then I continued on. My dad played very good uh, keyboards, but semi-professionally. It wasn't his job. And my mum was a singer, again, semi-professional. Uh, so there was music in the family. So when my mum used to get the hoover out, I used to crawl over to uh, the hoover and put my head on the hoover for the vibration. <laughs> And when my dad played the keyboards and he'd tap his foot to keep time, I used to go over there and rest my hand on his foot for the tempo. And so obviously this went on for a year or so. And um, they said, I think we've got a drummer here. So at the age of four, I had my first drum lesson. So my first drum lesson with a fantastic old big band jazz drummer called Georgie Scott that lived in Leytonstone. And he took me for two years and then said, he's actually getting better than I am and you need to – take him to this latest up-and-coming whiz kid uh, drum teacher called Bobby Armstrong, who's obviously very well-renowned, probably the best drum teacher the um, England has ever seen. He's uh, sadly passed away. And he taught me for eight years. Uh, So when I was six, I actually joined the band, you know, uh, another keyboard player um, who who, um, uh, could play the uh, foot pedals with his, you know, the bass part with his foot on the organ, he was an organ player. Um, And we went out doing gigs every uh, weekend nearly. We were called Young Sensationals. I was only £30 a week. So I was doing all of the pop stuff um, at the age of six. Now, my influences, I didn't have any because I literally fell into the music business doing gigs and it carried on from there. I suppose my people I looked up teacher i idolized my drum teacher you know i was his little um roadie as best i could i used to sit there watching every beat that he played to try and soak in all the information and he gave me all his debt work you know i decked in the west end when i was 12 jesus christ superstar site read it um (laughs) i did the whiz again site read that and because i got schooled properly by bob um i could literally read anything um and it 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 wasn't nothing was difficult for me. The drums came easy to me. I played everything really, really well. The biggest problem, because um I could play great, is he roasted my backside off one gig when I was 16. He said, Right, I've got a gig for you. No, the side wasn't 16, it was 14. It was one of the last um 
because I left him at 14. It was one of the last lessons I had. And I think it was whatever it was, a couple of months before the last lesson, he said, right, I've got a, a debt for you up in London. So I went up in London. Luckily, I could, I, could, I could do it because I was in the musician, even though he should have been over 18s. And I played with this really good session band, house band. And I did the gig. And, of course, I thought, oh, great, I've done it. Just nailed the gig again. Came back and then I had the next lesson. And, Bob, how did the gig go? I said, I nailed it again. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for the uh, debt, but I've made you proud, mate. You know, I've done a good gig. He said, you're a rubbish. I went, what? He said, you're a rubbish. He said, yeah, the bass player and the keyboard player, they called me up and said, uh, don't, don't have you again as a debt. And I almost started crying. I went, what? I said, but I nailed it all. He said, right, this is the lesson you've got to learn. It's not always about playing it right, Russ. What you've got to understand, the most important thing about being a musician is being musical. The second most important thing which joins that first thing is having good feel. He said they'd, they'd sooner have you messed up a few of the charts, but you had a great feel and a groove and you were musical rather than you playing it like a robot. Mm. And I, I couldn't believe it. And so he then said, right, Listen to Little Feet. Listen to Steely Dan. Listen to Bernard Purdy. Listen to Jess Picaro. Listen to, you know, and so all of this, all the guys have got all those great grooves and everything like that. He said, just listen. He said, don't, just don't do anything, but listen to how they play it. Think about why they would play it and soak in that magic that you probably haven't heard before. All you've done is listen to the top surface of the music and not delved under to understand what makes that band swing more, groove much more laid back. And, and so that's what I did. And that completely, completely transformed my whole, whole playing, of course. Oh, it's yeah. no good being able to play everything, but now I've, got to, now I've got to turn it into music. And that really started my uh, real career off, if you like. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's such an amazing story. And um, I guess going from, I guess, it sounds like when you were a young kid, you probably didn't hear much drum music. Is that correct then? Is that what you mean? You weren't exposed to particular Well, yeah, I mean, music. well, my dad was a big jazz nut. So yeah, all, right. obviously all I ever heard was the old jazz stuff. And, and because of my teacher and I idolised him, you know, he was into Tom Scott and Chuck Mangione and, and Buddy Rich. Yeah. And so all that jazz and jazz funk fusion, Harvey Mason, um, so uh, Chick Corea yeah. and uh, Herbie Hancock. Yeah. So instead of it being all of this pop and rock stuff, it was all the jazz funk instrumental yeah. stuff, all yeah. the really cool musician stuff. Musician so stuff, I was, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I was really into that, and I used to play all of that and playing in five and seven and 11. Didn't bother me, and I started, you know, and that was it. And I, for a long time, missed out a lot on everything else that was going on. Yeah. But in between all of that, because I was so good so young, Bob gave me a lot of depths. So, you know, I was still doing all – I did Tommy Cooper. I did um, uh, Little and Large. I did, you know, I did all the what you call the bread and butter uh, cabaret stuff and everything all over – uh, the UK, um, doing all of that kind of stuff. So that, again, built-in experience of me playing, you know, I had to play the, you know, ABBA because if you had a, a variety show and um, um, Lenny Peters was on it or whoever was on it, they might have a, someone lower down that would just be a singer 
who would sing a lot of the popular songs at the time. So I'd have to play ABBA, I'd have to play My Way by Frank Sinatra, whatever. So he had a cross-section of all grooves and stuff to fit, which was fantastic for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I started, obviously, doing the odd depth in London. Um, and then when I was 18, I did a show in the West End um, called Handicap, which was written by the keyboard player, The Animals, uh, called Alan Price. Right. And um, I did that show in the West, West End, and then Alan asked me to join and we did whatever it was, 150 shows all over England. And I was with him for six years. And he really did bring my uh, drumming out because it was the first time he gave me, well, back then, he gave me a cassette and said, learn the, uh, learn the set on there, right? And we're going to go to up to London. Then it was London, John Henry's, uh, sorry, not John Henry's, Easy Hire, uh, to do um, two weeks rehearsals. With, I've got a brand new band. Okay, right. Well, I turned up at Easy Easy Eye, but I've never seen anything like it in my life because I've only ever sort of rehearsed in a tiny little rehearsal room or or I'd only ever done cab raids where you got the MD, you know, keeping it down. Or, you know, I did obviously uh, some touring shows, Wizard of Oz and um, what what the Rocky Horror Show. And, you know, I did all of them up and down the country and all stuff like that. And it was always, you know, you've got to keep everything minimum. Well, I got the easy eye and I, I walked in there, dragged my kit in. Well, I stood for 10 minutes just looking at the room. Like I've never seen the room so big in all my life. <laughs> With a drum riser and I got drum fills and everything. I felt oh, wow. a little bit, oh, yeah, because I've never, it's out of my, I've never uh, had anything like this before. And of course, everyone turns up, met the rest of the guys in the band, set up. And I said, uh, have you, uh, or oh, just prior to this, actually, let me just tell you, when he gave me the cassette and I started learning the set, I rang him up after about three or four days because I'd always been taught, you know, obviously, you know, if, if there's a reading there, you read exactly what it wants unless the MD changes it. You know, you always accommodate your artist, everything like that. Well, because I had no music, it was an unknown territory to me. So I was listening to the drummer and I'm thinking, Oh, yeah, but I would usually do this, or I'm not sure whether I do. So I rang him up after about three or four days and said, Look, Alan, I said, On that bit, you know, House uh, of the Rising Sun, when he's playing that little bit like that, doing it, and he just stopped me and said, Russell, yeah, I booked you to play the drums. Yeah. Well, uh, I won't swear, but basically just play them, will you? <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> right. And put the phone down. So when I turned out, it was basically saying, I've got a free fall. What a, what a gig to have. First time in my life, I've actually now got to think for myself and become myself. Right. So I've got to set up, started playing. Um, he stopped me after 16 bars, stopped the whole band, looked round at me and said, are you going to hit them drums or what? <laughs> I went, oh, all right, yeah. Because I've been so used to, Playing at a small volume. Yeah, yeah. Where where do you get the chance to really lay into the kit? What I consider laying into the kit, unless you're put into that situation. Hmm. So we did it again, and he stopped me again after eight bars and said, "I told you, hit the bloody thing." He said, "We're playing on big stages." He said, "I want to feel the energy," and he really did completely transform my whole outlook on how to command a band to fill the stage, right, and also to to um, to now start bringing out Russell Gilbrook when I start playing the drums. Uh, 
So I did him for six years. I went straight from him into the Chris Park Jazz and Blues Band, playing trad jazz, do all these for God's sake. <laughs> okay. Right? Which not many people know, you see. They know me for this hard, mad, hitting idiot in yeah. Uriah Heat. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was schooled on jazz. I had Ed Thigbin, who used to play with Oscar Peterson, um, amazing, uh, uh, well-renowned jazz drummer. And he came up to me at a festival and said, Hey, boy, for a white guy, you know how to swing that ride. And, and I thought that was fantastic, right? Yeah. Of course, I haven't played jazz since I left Chris Barber in 19, whatever it was, 93 or whatever it was. But I'm so grateful to do it because I can now bring in elements of the subtleties of the feels of everything that that needs to have into my playing. So I've had a great foundation of literally doing everything. You know, I played on... I played with Five Star, was a pop band in the 80s. John Farnham was an Australian singer. Helen Shapiro, I was actually her MD for two years. Oh, wow. Helen Shapiro from the 60s. And um, so it, it's been fantastic for me to have, basically, I, I say I've, I've done nearly every gig you can probably think of as far as style is concerned. And everything. Yeah, sounds like. Um, and, you know, uh, brought me right up to date where I... I got to a situation after Chris Barber where I wasn't really, I didn't want to do that stuff anymore. I didn't want to start playing for um, other artists anymore. I felt like I had enough to offer as a musician and a person. And I wanted to join a vehicle, a band that had something to offer more globally and more successfully. I didn't know it was going to be rock. Yeah. Because I hadn't played Loads and loads of rock up to then. I dabbled in the odd band there, the odd thing there, the odd cover there, right? Um, But I knew I had something else to offer. But obviously, you've got to try and find the opportunity of something to come your way before you can actually have a go at it. Of course. Um, And obviously, during my time with Chris Barber, I got signed up by Minor Symbols, actually. Okay. And that was my first ever endorsement. I didn't even know about endorsements up to that <laughs> no, one had, no one had told me. I've gone from this little kid to playing stuff and just, and, you know, there's the money. Oh, great, in the pocket. What will be playing? What will be playing? All I wanted to do was play. I wasn't interested in anything else. Yeah, yeah. And um, so it, it just moved from that to that. And, of course, it was very nice to play with these 60s people and um, learning all the experience. But – they were going down a different road to all this other stuff that was going on. Um, and no one had, had told me about the session scene properly or what was going on on the bigger scale touring scene or the endorsement scene. So it was only until someone approached me, Chris Barber, because Chris Barber's massive in Europe, or he was massive in Europe. Um, I got approached in Germany uh, because mine were German, and I signed an endorsement with them, and then that, the endorsements went on. Then they asked me to do drum clinics, Right. And the drum clinics went on, so I've become mates with Kenny Aronoff, and then Tony Omi asked, asked me to play on um, his new solo, his solo album that he was going to do. So I did some demo. I didn't play on the solo album because they recorded it in LA in the end, but I ended up working on some demo stuff with him. And wow. it was through me doing a demonstration at Frankfurt Music Fair that Tony saw my playing, and he came on stage, shook me hand, and went, that's some of the best playing I've seen for donkey's years, <laughs> and just walked, walked off. And then about 10 minutes later, I thought, Hang on a minute. Was that who I thought it was? <laughs> I couldn't believe wow. it. Yeah. So there's a little bit of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then so so then how did you how did you join your IAH? But did you have to audition or did they know who you were or like how did that happen? Right, well, I'll tell you how that happened. I got a, an old mate of mine who 
when my mum and dad got divorced, he worked for the solicitors that were involved with my mum and dad's divorce. And he was a massive Uriah Heap fan. That was his number one band. Well, because he knew I was a professional musician, we got chatting. Now, bearing in mind, I was 21 at the time, so I'm talking a long time ago as far as um, knowing about Uriah Heap. And he was telling me about Uriah Heap. And because I was just doing Eddie Shapiro and Alan Price and I was, you know, Lenny Peters and doing all this other stuff, I didn't really take much notice because Uriah Heap didn't mean a lot to me then because I, I, I was um, caught up from the jazz, the funk fusion stuff into doing, you know, earning money as a player. I didn't yeah. know anything about all this other stuff. Um, so I said, oh, right, okay, yeah. So he'd only loads of records, and I liked it, yeah. but I still thought, well, I don't know what that's going to do to me. Because he always used to say, you should be the drumming. You should be the drum." I kept saying to him, they've got a drum. They've got an amazing drum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, they should get rid of him and have you. I said, it's very nice of you. You're a nice mate and everything. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. So anyway, I'm doing all these demos, right? And I used to do a hell of a lot of drum clinics in England. And because, as you quite rightly said, which is very nice of you, I've got a, a bit of a personality thing that goes over. They used to book me in a lot of places um, in the UK to go back and do it because everyone just loved the show. Yeah, Not yeah. only did they get some technique out of it, but they liked to have a good old laugh. Even the mums and dads and dads and granddads, they all loved it. <laughs> yeah, um, so I used to do this particular one in Hull called Repercussion. It used to be owned by Phil Oten. Um, and... That's where Trevor Boulder, the bass player who sadly died now, he was the bass player with Heat for 30-odd years. He's actually the um, original Spiders from Mars with David Bowie. Oh, wow. So he, he played on Gene Genie and a whole bit like that. So a tremendous, I mean, amazing bass player. Yeah. Um, and Phil said to him, oh, you've got to come and see this guy, Russell Gilbert, play. Well, because Uriah Heap uh, are constantly touring all the time, every time I did a clinic – Trev was on tour, so he couldn't he couldn't come and see me. But this one particular time, he could. Nice. So he came to see me play, and I did my usual stuff and everything. And afterwards, he came up and said, I have to say, he said, That's, not only was it so funny and entertaining, he said, Jesus Christ, that's some of the best drumming I've heard for a long time. He said, have you got to rush off tomorrow? I said, no, I'm staying in the hotel here. I said, come round, it's just um, come round for lunch, and we're going to have a, a nice chat. So I went round his place, and we become mates. Well, it wasn't till, flipping heck, it wasn't till 10, 12 years later, whatever it was, I mean, a long time, that I got a phone call off of um, Trev. He said, what are you doing, Russ? What are you doing? I said, well, bits and pieces, stuff. Oh, uh, poor Lee, his, his health is really deteriorating badly. We've just signed a recording contract for a new album. We're going to have a world tour to go with it. Yeah. Do you want to join the band? Now, immediately what happened, to, to be honest, what went through my mind was not another has-been band. I can't be doing it again. I can't yeah. go through it again. Right? But he's telling me more and telling me more and telling me more. And, of course, what's soaked in is the, the new album with the new world tour. I thought, well, anyway, it could be more into this than that. So yeah. I started now focusing more on Uriah Heap and listening and thinking, this is, sorry. Um, sorry, this you've been, is really, honestly, Probably everyone swears on this, so don't worry if you want to swear, that's cool. Oh, I could. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I was really starting to focus in on, on the heat and listen to the stuff. I thought, this is, this is great because it's like the old school. You've got Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, uh, Deep Purple, and Uriah Heat. They were the four that came out. But if you listen to the drummers, they're literally just playing what they want to play. Yeah. It all works. You can hear that it's not like, oh, you've got to play simple there and you've got to play busy. They just play. Very free. And I thought, well, 
yeah, very free, right? Mm. I thought, God, blimey, I can be me in this band. This would be fantastic. So I, 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 I did say to Trevor, so let me have a think about it in a couple of days. I made loads of phone calls to everybody, trying to get all the information. I rang him back, said, Trev. I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. He said, right, well, there is a small problem. I said, what's that? He said, the management have already gone ahead and there's an audition process. He said, but I'm pretty sure you'd be able to handle that. I said, I'm not bothered about an audition. I said, fine, just give, give me the details. Now, there's the big advice, everybody. I used to teach at BIM, one of the big music schools down in Brighton. I did that for about two years. And I used to tell them the same thing. I said, the biggest advice about auditions, here it goes. There was 240 drummers worldwide that auditioned for Uriah Heap, right? Now, quite a few of them were just chances, so they got knocked off straight away. And they had to just, you know, try and find their way through all the ones. And we come to the last 40 over two weeks at Terminal Studios in London. So me being me, I was playing a little rock covers band now and again uh, doing some uh, weekend, you know, cover work in pubs. I invited Mick and Bernie, the guitarist and singer, down to the pub to watch me play. I didn't care. It was just a crappy little pub because I was still playing the flaming arse off, right? They could still hear what I'm going to do. So I brought them down. We all had a bit of a laugh. They went and everything like that. And um, Mick called me up and said, okay, right, so going to come for the audition. I said, yes, uh, the second week I can make. All right, yeah, that's fine. Now this is all a ploy, right? I could have made the first day right through the two weeks, but I wanted to make myself the last audition for the right reason uh, and make sure that I left, make sure that I got the audition, basically. So I said to him, I can only do the second week, fine. What can you do in the second week? I said, well, I'm actually quite busy, so what are you going on to? He said, we're going on Monday to Friday. I said, okay, I could do Friday. I could do Friday at 12. Yeah. He said, okay, right, we'll put you down Friday at 12. I said, okay. Now, I deliberately left it a couple of hours because Friday at 12, I didn't want to do. So I rang him up after a couple of hours. I said, Mick, there's only Friday at 12. I said, I can't actually make the 12. I forgot. I've got a dentist appointment. <laughs> Can I make it a little bit later? I mean, I'm coming from Essex and everything. I will come up on the on the, uh, on the the train, but um, what, what, what time are you going on to? You know, well, the last one, the boys have a long week, well, probably about four-ish. I said, oh. I said, I can't do four, can I? Yeah, 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 there's no one in at four. You can do... So I've now sorted myself out the last audition. Yeah, How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. So I said, oh, just one, just one more thing. I'm just going to bring my kit. Oh, no, 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 no one's bringing kits. We've got a house kit here. And I said to him, no, no, Mick, I'll destroy it in 10 minutes. I said, I want to bring my own kit. I said, I'm the last one anyway. So he said, oh, yeah, you're the last one. Yeah, you can bring your kit. So I'm the only one that's got the last day, the last audition, and I've got my own kit. Yeah. Right? Okay, they gave – exactly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're going to – because you only get one shot in an audition, unless it's, you know, we're going to bring you back because we've got four to think or whatever. But I thought this is one – I'm going to blow everyone out of the water. (laughs) So there was five songs to learn which covered the technical ability of heat. Um, one of which is a double-handed shuffle for easy living. And the amount of bloody drummers that dropped like flies because they got crappy left hands and couldn't get the feel. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Friday at four o'clock. So where was I? I was up there at half past eight in a cafe across the road on Friday, <laughs> right? Because I wanted to hear my competition. Uh, right? yeah. So I went up there 
And throughout the day, I could see all these drummers with their headphones on. And I had my um, a partner with me at the time, and I said to her, I said, if he's got to start doing all that now, he's going to be rubbish, mate. I said, it should all be up there and in here. It should have it all sussed by now. You shouldn't need to be re-going over anything. You should be confident. Get in there and do it. Anyway, come to my audition. And their faces looked like they were drained beyond belief with two weeks of hell about I said, how's it been going? Oh, my God. Some people said they can sing and they can't sing. Some said they can play, they can't play. They're not in it hard enough. They ain't got the right groove. They were speeding up. They were slowing down. They didn't even learn it. It was a <laughs> mental case. So I said, I hope you've, they said, I hope you've learned. I'm setting my gear up. They said, I hope you've, I hope you've learned the five songs. I went, no. And there was silence. <laughs> I said, I've learned your whole life set. We can do this whole live gig tomorrow if you want. And you should have seen their faces. The uplift was unbelievable. Now, bear in mind, the band was there, the crew was there, the producer for the album was there. Um, obviously, you know, all the crew, as I said, they were there. Um, and the smiles on their faces, they couldn't believe it. So I hadn't learned five songs. I'd learned the whole set. Wow. Now, how do you think that goes down with him? So I just said, well, what do you want to play then? Well, you name it. I said, okay, I'll name it. Right. And um, who was it was going to, it was me about to um, bring the band. And I said, I said, he said, what? I said, I'm just going to get the right tempo. Hang on. And then I called the band. And again, I commanded it, called the band in with a real loud uh, counting. And I could see the faces of relaxation and enjoyment in one was unbelievable. And that was it. Did the, did the uh, audition. I got a standing ovation from the uh, the crew, smiles on the faces. I came back from behind the kit. Mick came over, started talking to me, and after 10 minutes, I said, hang on a minute. I said, you're talking to me like I got the gig. He said, you're out. We're going to go around the pub and get pissed now. <laughs> that's amazing. That's, that's It makes sense. It's so obvious. I've, I've never really been in that audition situation, so it was really mm. interesting hearing how that would how that kind of goes, especially in, at that level of a professional band, what they expect them, the setup and and the actual scale and the amount of people that apply. That is crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can, you can't afford, you're not going to have a second go at it. No, That's the thing. I agree. Now, yeah, obviously, agree. Some, some auditions might be a bit more tailored. They might be more specific. You are only going to play one song and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But this, this wasn't like that. And I took it upon myself to learn the live set. Yeah, you because must... I knew if someone says to you, have you learned the five songs? You go, yeah. And someone else says, well, I've learned the whole live set. Your yeah. attention is now going to go to the person that's learned the whole live set. Totally. It has to. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, they're going to be like, well, that guy's, if he's, if he, if he's true saying that he has actually learned them and he has, well, that's going to be a lot easier for us. If you go with that guy. And you, it proves how improve. serious he is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How serious you are, you know. Yeah. So Fantastic. you have to. You know, and and when Mick's been interviewed, you know, thousands of times about this, he said, you know, why have you got, why did you get pick Russ? Why did you pick Russ? And he turned around and said, Russ came in and made the drum chair his. That's it. And mm. that's what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. Good play. Well done. Excellent. Um, that's a great story. What What's this I read online about a drum beater? Did you, did you come up with your own drum beater or something like that? Bass drum beater? Oh, blimey. No, what happened was there was a, um, a company called Morel... Morel uh, drum beaters. He yeah. made some snare drums in that as well. And um, he was just making beaters. And he just said to me, you know, 
I want to make some uh, drum beaters, bass drum beaters for you. What do you like? Well, I've, you know, I've had animal on my arm for <laughs> nice. you know, 30 years or whatever it is. And I was, everyone used to call me the animal in the early, in the early days. Um, and I just said, well, you can't make animal ones, can you? So he said, yes. So he made a couple of oh, animal Oh, that's where they beaters. were. Oh, that's class. Yeah. So you don't, they're not something you use to this day. It isn't a specific reason. No. Just a visual thing. No, I mean, yeah, it was a visual thing. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, as long as the, the bar doesn't bend and I don't get a funny um, reaction off the skin from the beta. Yeah, like um, any, anything, anything to help a company or anything that's a bit quirky, because I like things to be a little bit, you know, bit quirky. Put a little bit of smile on someone's face. I don't know anyone that turns away from something that puts a smile on the face. You, it engages okay. people a smile on the face. So if that's something, look at the beaters. Oh, look at the beaters. There you go. It's, exactly. To me, that's a winner. And that's exactly what I meant about watching your video. It was instantly, yeah. I was like, even my wife, who has no interest in drum videos, I said, oh, check out this guy. He's really good. And, mm. and, and then, and she was like, oh, like she was actually interested in it. She doesn't care yeah. about drumming. She likes watching me play the drums, watching me play gigs, because yes. it's just me playing a gig, I guess. But everything else I've ever shown her, she's just like, I'm not interested, but she was interested in you. So, Well, it's delivery. And, and you know, one thing I'm lucky to have, and it's like, um, you know, not every not every drummer can do it. The amount of drum clinics I've seen, and it's like after 10 minutes, just want to walk out because, yeah, yeah. you know, you're a great player and everything, but you can't deliver. You can't converse. And you've got to remember in an audience, you're not in an audience of drummers in a drum clinic. You're, you're with the, the dad's there or the mum's there or the nanny granddad's there or the guitarist mate's there. And they don't understand technique all the time. Yeah. So if you can make it an entertainment night that has value of um, um, of instruction built in it for the drummers, then everybody enjoys it. There's nothing worse than sitting there for two hours being bored out of your mind because you don't understand anything the guy's saying and the guy's boring as well, for goodness yeah. sake. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, that's a, yeah, that, I, I did read that you'd done loads of drum clinics. Did you do any in South Wales? That's where I'm I from. I did, did loads. Neath, Neath Restaurant. Neath, Neath Restaurant. <laughs> Neath Music. Neath Music, right, okay, yeah. I've never been. When there. it was around. Yeah, you're right. And I think there was, a, I'm sure there was a couple of others. Nothing in Cardiff? I'm sure there was, but okay. I can't remember the name of it. No, it doesn't matter. But I've also done a couple of things for Lee in the Lee. last few years. Oh, Lee from Carried. Carried. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's a And I've done the Welsh, the, the, yeah, he is. And I did the first <laughs> um, first Welsh drum show as well. I performed there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know when. Though. When was that? And my 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 partner um, is from Blengwynby. Is that, was that mid-Wales somewhere, is it? Yes, it's uh, just past... Port Talbot, I think. Oh, okay. In the valleys. She's in, from the valleys. Yeah. So I have a good old Welsh connection. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Tell her, tell her I live in Astrid Manach. She might have heard oh, of right. it. Yeah, near Cafe. Yeah, she probably would have. That's where I Because you're not, not really that far from the um, the Planet Rock. Uh, not the Planet Rock. The Steel House, are you? I'm not, I'm not that far from there at all. Yeah, I'm not far from yeah. there at all. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. You've done that before, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I've, been, I've, I've been there when I've been up um, visiting... Chris's mum and dad, um, we've gone to Steelhouse. Yeah. Because I still love going to see as many gigs as I can because, you know, apart from their being mates of mine, I just adore music. I love it. Hi, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Drum for the Song. I just wanted to briefly interrupt the interview to tell you about my Patreon page, which is a place where you can support the podcast and, of course, support myself. 
you can um, sign up to one of the three tiers on there. There's one that's £3 a month, one that is £5 a month, and one that is £10 a month. There are loads and loads of exclusive benefits to signing up, including bonus episodes, merch discounts, Christmas card for myself. Um, if you sign up to the top tier, I'll send you a pair of my drumsticks. Um, loads of other stuff. So go check it out. It's patreon.com forward slash drum for the song. And um, another way you could support me if you're interested, if you're not bothered about the Patreon thing, if you go to my official website, drumforthesong.com, you can send a donation via PayPal. So, um, yeah, thanks for watching this and enjoy the rest of the show. Drum for the Song podcast. I do, I do mm. speak to a lot of um, musicians and drummers that, I guess, if they're professional and they do tour a lot and they do play a lot, or maybe they teach on the side, I find that they don't go and watch live bands as much because their no. life is so full of it already. That's right. No, that so is that's, right. Yeah. That's really, that's really, that's cool that you still, you're still up for going to watch bands play and stuff like that. I, I, I'm in between. I think I'm half and half. I really yeah. enjoy when I go, but I have to push myself to go. Because, well, as I said, a lot of them are my, my mates and um, it's the yeah. only time I get to have a little beer with them. Yeah. Because otherwise they're touring when I'm touring and this, that and the other. So if I'm not touring and they're doing a gig, I want to go and see them and say hello. They're, they're good mates, you know. And um, I, I, I have no idea what it's like on tour with you guys, but I, I don't touch alcohol before I play drums. No. Or anything like that. And then by the time you finish. Days off. It, yeah, days off. And I have one after the show just to kind of chill me out. And then, then yeah. there's not, not much time really then. So I think people think about this 80s is all about bloody drugs and hookers and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's Am I too dark? Like, no, it looks Am fine. I getting too- oh, okay. It looks fine, yeah. But yeah. People, no, it's, 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 you're, you're, you're totally right there. It's about, um, I can't, I don't ever want anything. The, 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 I can't express the love I have for playing and making that audience is fantastic nights. That, that every night is a special night for those people. That night, you can never have it again. Yeah. And I want to have the most fantastic night playing and get my rocks off as much as they do. If anything inhibited that, oh my God, why would I want to damage that? You just cut off at the very end then. I'm not sure if it's my signal. So did I miss a line at the end? Oh. Sorry, this is... Um, I just said I don't I don't want anything to damage the amount of uh, love I have for playing, and I want that I want to remember that night and play fantastic so that the audience has the greatest night in the world. I, I don't want anything inhibiting that and stopping me from performing the best. No, totally. I I totally agree. It's more they're more important. They're mm. the ones who have paid the money to come and see you, so you need to give your best performance. And that's right. You don't want to selfishly. Like I've been around, you know, I've been around musicians who do like a beer before they go on. Some some of them can still perform really well, mm. and I think that's the problem when when yeah, they discover course. when they discover well I can have six pints and still go on stage and play as well as I could anyway. I think that's the problem, and that's what leads to well that's the know, danger. That's the danger because they that's can't. The, that's they, they can't. can't. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, but uh, you know, apart from. Years when I was a teenager, maybe having a few beers before going on and then realizing I'm playing everything too fast. Then I'm realizing, oh, well, I'm not going to do that again. Go. Yeah, exactly. I've got to focus on. Focus well on. done. Well done. Yeah. And yeah. it's just a discipline, really. And I think it's something you need to learn yourself. Um, 
and it depends on the re- if you especially if you get into the stage where you are make, doing a semi semi professionally there is an element of someone paying to see you it's different when you're just kind of starting out mm. in a band with your mates and your, and your kids or whatever and you're just playing in a garage or whatever yeah do do whatever you like but um people are paying to see you well it's also that i mean the whole night you know the whole night is fun you know it's like you go around for a barbecue with your mates you're not going to go around for a barbecue and not have a beer i mean it's yeah. almost telling you to have a beer well when you when you kind of play great music and a great feeling it's almost telling you to have a drink yeah. it's telling you to do drugs because they all go hand in hand but you hit the nail right on the head there a minute ago it's about discipline and if you're not prepared to be disciplined so that you could you know when to stop when to have a bit of a party yeah, and especially when it's uh, your job, you have an obligation to keep on top of your job. Um, you've got to have that discipline to cover all those areas. Yeah, no, I'm glad you agree. <laughs> so, um, like, yeah. I, I doubt there are very few of my listeners listeners that don't know of the the music. But for anyone who hasn't heard Uriah Heep yet, I know you've been together since this seventies, right? 1970, 1970, 1970 yeah. they started. For, I, I, I joined April the 17th, 2007. 2007, yeah, I thought so. But is, it, is there any particular songs or album that you would suggest they could start their journey if they wanted to check the band out, if they haven't heard you yet? Well, I mean, a lot of the, the diehard fans obviously say the early ones, you've got Demons and Wizards, very heavy, very humble, look at yourself. Then in the 80s, for a bit more of the cliche 80s that that uh, charted in uh, the album charted in the top 20 in America right. in the 80s uh, was Abominog, which is mm-hmm. a very prominent one with a lot of rock fans. Cool. And then the actually the the album I played on when I first joined the band, Wake the Sleep, is a very good album. Oh, nice. Um, and then Living the Dream, my last album, cool. uh, was a very good album. So everyone so, should go and check check those out. And then uh, let us know which ones you liked and why you didn't like. Or what, yeah. I'm assuming they vary quite a lot because the stuff I've been listening to since we arranged this interview, there's a lot of variation to it in the kind of style I find. In the, hmm. And um, yeah, cool. yeah, there's, it's it. one thing Heaps really been good at. Yeah, Heaps been good at be, being a, a more varied rock band and not so channeled with stuff you know yes. they can do the ballads and get away with it they could do the the proggy stuff and get away with it they can do the dreamy uh you know the dreamy stuff and get away with it and then they can do the hard rockers and get away with it so yeah uh they're a bit lucky like that oh that's cool so um you've probably mentioned a few of them already but what have been the proudest moments of your career so far you may have mentioned well, some earlier <laughs> i suppose you know uh Joining Alan, joining Alan Price and then Chris Barber because those two people clawed out of me stuff that I perhaps wouldn't have clawed out that early if I hadn't joined those bands. Plus, my teacher giving me all the right ingredients and teasing me and make, make drawing me out, making me answer the questions all the time and not having to conform to the right things and not having to conform to what the teacher says all the time. He wanted to hear my point of view on stuff and, and teach me a lesson um, about, as I said, the feeling groove thing, which, you know, not a lot of teachers do that. They'll teach, they'll teach drumming. They'll teach the, um, 
the grades or this, that, and the other, and nothing goes with it. Not the correct, the correct. If you haven't got a correct technique, you won't get, uh, you won't progress as much as you should progress because technique, if it's bad, will inhibit you. And if you don't understand fear nor groove, then very rarely you're going to get booked properly. Yeah. You know, that's really the essence of, of what everything's all about. And um, so they, they were three massive highlights, plus also obviously my own self-achievement is, I mean, I've never, the auditions I've gone for, I went for, uh, Pete Barden was a keyboard player in a, a prog band called Camel. Right, he, yeah. He's dead now. And um, I went up to get my Sabian endorsement because I signed to Sabian after doing You're the Voice with John Farnham at the Montreux Rock Festival. Oh, and wow. Sabian came legging it up to me. and said, have you got a symbol endorsement? I said, no, this was before vinyl. I said, no, I haven't. Like, come with me. So I got a Sabian <laughs> endorsement just through doing that gig. Wow. And I had to go up to London and get it. And there was an audition going on. I can't remember the name of the studios now, but there was an audition going on. I understand. I said, what's going on? There's a drummer's downstairs. Oh, they're auditioning for this uh, Pete Bardens who was in the camel. He's got a, a new album recording. He's going to go on tour. I said, oh, I'm going to go and get that. Oh, I, oh, I don't think you'll be able to go in for the audition. It's all set. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a uh, I don't know where they're still going, but there's a session connection, which is um, an agency that all musicians joined, and they'd try and get you, you know, tours and sessions and everything. Will happen. Well, they had organised it. So I went down there, and I just, a guy came out from finishing the audition. I just walked in there. I said, what's all this about? <laughs> uh-huh. I said, well, he could be, well, who do you think? Are you on the list? And said, I'm not on the list, but I'm the drummer. I want to do this. Oh, I'm the drummer you need. And of course, the guitarist who was the MD, said, hang on a minute, mate. Hang on a minute. Try to chuck me out. And Pete Barden liked my attitude. He said, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. What are you, what are you I said, I've come to get me Sabian symbols and everything. I said, he told me there's an audition going down there. I said, I'm the drummer you need. He said, well, hang on a minute. And they said, you know, the auditions are going through. We've got 20 people, basically, blah, 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 blah. blah. He's finishing it four o'clock, whatever it is, um, can you hang on? Can you hang around and, and do one after? I said, yeah, all right. He said, if you have a listen outside, you'll hear the couple of tracks that we're doing. So anyway, I did that. Of course, I went in there and I got it. I got the audition. I played on the album. It's called See One Night. And um, unfortunately, we couldn't do the tour because poor Pete Barden died. Now, he, he used to spend a lot of time in Mick Fleetwood out at Fleetwood Mac. We were very, very good mates. And we were due to go on tour with all that lot. Oh, wow. But he died, so it never, never happened. Um, and so coming back to, you know, the highlight, biggest highlight is the fact that I've always made sure that if you're really confident in your own ability and what you've got to offer, that will stand out so much. It's no good going in apprehensive. It's no good being timid. It's no good trying stuff where the water level's up here and you're, you know, waiting for the mistake. You've got to play so within yourself and so positively, it feeds so much in the people. And being a nice guy, for goodness sake, you don't want to go on tour tour with an idiot. Yes. And it's it's another thing I said with the kids at Brighton. I said, look, there's an audition next week, like hypothetically. There's an audition next week. I said, and you 20 and me, you're all going to go for the audition. Who's going to get it? And they started laughing. They said, of course you're going to get it. I said, no, hang on a minute. What, just don't play your paradiddles fast in you? I said, you've got to understand, the moment you walk in that door, they've made their mind up if your image is going to work or not. Yeah, I said, then it's the playing ability. Then did he speed up, slow down? Was he too loud? Was he listening? Was he watching? Did he have good feel? You know what I mean? Um, is he a timid person? Is he too aggressive? Is he too full of it? Uh, let's have a little chat with him for 15, 20 minutes, see, see, see what's 
you know, hobbies he's got, and is he into this or is he into that? Are we going to like being on tour with it? All those elements go into it. Definitely, yeah, totally. It's not just the that's why. So I had a chat with Kenny Aronoff, right? Who's a good good friend of mine. Yeah. Because I said to him, "Look, you're the number one rock guy in LA. You get the call first over everybody, and you have done for like twenty odd years, right?" And I said to him, "How does that work?" And he started laughing at me. <laughs> um, he said, "Look, he said there are literally loads and loads and loads of guys that can play me under the table." He said, "But you got to remember this, Russ. It's about giving them what they want first or second take." Having a great, consistent drum sound. He said, but do you know the number one reason why I get the call? He said, I create the best vibe for everybody in that studio. He said, and that's why they get me back, because that's really what top producers want is the best atmosphere so that you make the best record, and then everybody gets the good old thumbs up and the check and gets paid and you get back to do it again. Yeah, totally. No, that's completely true. It's not all about... Yeah, like you said, doing power diddles faster than the oh. next guy. There's nothing about that. But. See, I've heard, Dane, I've heard loads of people, you know, and, and that's, again, from Brighton and the young kids, and this and the other, they turn around and say, well, I'll play better than him. I'll play better than him. What's he got to kick for? What's he got to kick And they're missing the boat. Yeah, yeah. You're going to try and get the gigs to go. You could try and get your mates with you to go on tour. You're not trying to get the best players. You know, the, the guys that do the, the, the tours with the pop bands and that, their mates, the MD's mate with the bass player, who's mate with the drummer, who's mate with the keyboard player, they all go on tour. They're all good players that can play it well. He can play better than him. Yeah, but he's a twat. I don't want yeah. him on tour with me. Exactly, yeah. I've heard a, fun, a similar story with a, a mate of mine who's a, he's a drum tech. And um, he started off, I guess, I think teching for bands he knew. And then he, he kind of just made loads of contacts and he started teching for some really big bands. He's not a particularly good drummer. He's not particularly brilliant at anything technical, but they just like being around him. And that's yeah. why he gets to work because he's an, he's a cool guy to have on the bus. Yeah. They like hanging around with him and he gets all the work. Exactly. Because of that. And there's loads yeah. of drum, drum techs that, you know, know more about drums and tuning and, you know, whatever goes into drum tech in, but yeah, he gets the job because he's a lot. I've gone through, <laughs> I've gone through a few. I'll tell you drum techs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for all different reasons. You're either too moody, they either crap at their job, or a combination of both. You know, I need someone, because I don't like my drum tech. I, I keep saying to Rich, my drum tech, you're not just my drum tech, mate, you're my mate. Yeah, yeah. But there is a percentage where we have to keep it professional, because it becomes difficult for me to call you a twat if you're too much of a nice mate. I don't want to do that. So I've yeah. got to leave a little bit of a gap. But mm. I will treat you just like a mate. When we're not, um, you know, doing the doing the gig or whatever, um, you know, I'm not going to leave you out. Oh, you're just a drum tech. You ain't coming out of dinner with us. No, I'm not into that. They're all mates, mates, mates. But I go on stage and something's not working anything like that. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to rip your bloody head off because <laughs> now you're putting my gig in jeopardy, and I didn't do it. That's what yeah. you're being paid for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so that you know, it's an understanding. But yes, as far as mates are concerned that's why how many bands split up because they can't stand each other anymore exactly. and that's just through through time because the habits of people can irritate you on tour not in a, a weekend but we on tour for a couple of months they can bloody irritate you and um it's, it's very difficult to uh um you know put up with with people sometimes but 
it's part of it's part of it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Let's um, let's go to what I mentioned about my Patreon page then. Oh yeah, yeah. Very, very, very lucky. I'm not getting. Hang on, I'm going to put the light on. Hang on. Okay, yeah, yeah. Do what you need to do. It's all good. So yeah, listeners, I've got a Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash drum for the song. And um, you know, I've got some really nice guys that we 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 keep in touch and we have a uh, monthly conversations online and. We do love the cool stuff, but one of one of the benefits of the top tier is I get I say, oh, give me some questions to ask my next. Guest. Yeah, so course, yeah. You've actually been given well, I've been given more questions for you than anyone else before. So, hopefully oh, we get, hopefully we'll get through them all. So the first one's from Rudy, yeah, in, in Germany. He's from Germany. Um, can you recommend any specific exercises for drummers which are very helpful to improve their drumming? Well, you've got to stay relaxed when you do, when you're moving like this. It's all about for me. Um, I can be a bit controversial with some of the things I say, but I'm only I could only speak for myself and my experiences and how I play and what I've learned over the years. Now, of course, there's more 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 than one way to skin a cat as far as grips concerned. We're not going to that, but the more loose you are, if you're loose here, you're going to be loose here. Mm. As soon as the wrist locks up. The only thing to, that's going to allow you to move more is the forearm. So you're now going to be adding, adding tension into something. Yeah? yeah. So the more relaxed you are, the more loose you are, the more relaxed you are, the better your playing is going to be. Now, I always make sure I do half an hour at least of warming up on the pad um, or my little practice kit, uh, just doing a bunch of rudimental type things. Uh, singles and doubles mostly with paradiddles thrown in everything just yeah. to because if you don't warm up and you're playing certainly playing rock if you're playing powerful and fast if this starts locking up you're, you're in big trouble plus you're also prone to injuries exactly. now I've never had any injuries at all touch wood and I know loads of players that struggle with you know carpal tunnel things and and all my arm hear me you've got to look at your setup's got to be right but mostly you've got to warm up like you're doing a sprint so yeah. I do at least half hour there, I do stretches, I, I do my neck, I do everything to make sure I'm limbered and ready to go because um, I can't stress how important it is. You might get away with it for five years, but then it might catch up with you. And if something starts to hurt where you can't end perform anymore, how gutted are you going to feel? Sure. So the exercises I would do is, as I said, low, half an hour at least on the pad. Um, the same with the feet. You've got to get the feet going like that. You've got to get the feet, get the blood circulation round, get yourself nice, loose and ready um, to play. And I would just continue, you know, if, you, if you're struggling with a bit of speed, you've always got to try and put the metro, metronome on and you've now got a gauge of in time and, and tempo. And even if it's 100 BPM, you're just going... And focusing on the evenness of that before you move it up and just making sure, very methodical about making sure that you're playing as relaxed and loose as possible, not putting a strain on your technique and listening that your technique is as smooth as it possibly can be. That's great. Totally. And um, when it comes to metronome practicing, how, like, if it, like, for example, if you're just doing doubles on, on with your hands or whatever, would you mm. say notch it up? 
by like five BPM a time or 10 BPM a time? Like no, two or three. Just two, two or, or three. three. Because, yeah, if you were to put 100 BPM on and then put 102 BPM, right, maybe a minute later, you'd hardly notice a difference. Yeah. Be, be, not, not many people could notice a difference at all. No. If you put on 100 and then 120, there's a noticeable difference. Yes. yes. And this is a problem people do. Everyone wants to play with the speed. I understand that. It's exciting. But they play fast with bad technique. That's what the problem is. That's the problem. And so if you if you do something at 100 and then you do it at 102, because it's hardly moved up at all, oh, no, you're gone. All right, I have gone. Why have I gone? Can you hear? You can still hear me? I can hear you, yeah. That's oh, right. Keep talking. Not, I'll try and sort it out my end. Sorry. Might be your timer. Sometimes Zoom's yeah. on a timer and they just take you off. You might have to press a button to extend it if you're the host. Yeah, I'm using my GoPro. Yeah, so, so on a, on 102 BPM, because you've only put it up 2 BPM, it's not going to put a strain on your technique. You can then work on 102 BPM without putting a strain on it. And then after a week or two weeks or whatever it is, you put it up to 104 or 105, just 2 or 3 BPM, and then you work on that. But because people can do 103, two or 103 BPM after a hundred, they put it up to 110 and they think, oh yeah, I can do it there. And they start doing 110 with bad technique. And so they never get the good technique actually getting better. What they're doing is they're playing with playing faster with bad technique, which is isn't beneficial at all. No, Have I, you gone completely? Yeah, no, oh, I, you know. I am I am here. Sorry, I'm trying to fill yeah. I don't know why it's not working, but I keep talking oh. because this is this most yeah. people listen to this on audio anyway. No, that that's, yeah. that totally makes sense. And to, to, and to be brutally honest, is one thing that I I've never really spent a lot of time doing is practicing the metronomes over and over again. And I've recently been trying to speed my. I know it seems a bit cliche, my double kick, because I've always right. felt like I've never because I've always played in like rock bands. I've never played in like a metal band, so I've never really mm. needed to be fast on a double kick. But like, right. I'm interviewing all these guys and watching a load of videos. I'm like, right. Even if I don't need to do it now, I'd like to be able to do it someday yeah. if someone ever needs yeah. me to. So that's what I've been working on. And um, and like what you mentioned about your your you not being able to do like an ankle technique is interesting because that's what I've been trying to learn to try right. and build up the speed. Um, but yeah, because I used to just kind of, I guess, I think I kind of developed my own little ankle te- technique without knowing what it was just to play for like some of the songs that are like five minutes of just solid double kick, but not that mm. fast. It's only so fast you can go. But um, yeah. anyway, no one, no one needs to know about that. Well, I'll tell you another bit of fun. For those people who want to play with metronomes, don't play with a metronome. Put on a piece of music, right, that you like, that's at a certain tempo. So you might find a rock track or a dance track or whatever it is, a pop track, whatever uh, track it is, Um and, f- and and put the click on it just to find out if it's in a ballpark of 100 or 110. Yeah. If it is, put the music on. Because as soon as the music's on, you're going to start moving to it. With, with something with a click going like this, how uninspiring is that? Yeah. If you've got the music, you've got the music playing or a drum loop or something. It's more exciting yeah. and it will get you enjoying playing to a, 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 a regimented uh, uh, tempo like that. Yeah. Make it more fun. Totally. Yeah. That's definitely, definitely what I'd recommend. Um, one more question from Rudy then. What, what are 
what are your musical influences today? Still the classic stuff or maybe some modern new bands or music? Well, um, I listen to everything. Honestly, I love Mozart as much as I like listening to Count Basie, Duke Ellington, Tony Williams, um, Barry White, Stevie Wonder, and then, you know, Sabbath, nice. I Maiden. I mean, you know, anything that's really good. Now, is it, <laughs> this is funny, this, because as a musician, I can't listen to music like a non-musician does, and no one will ever know how, why, or if that's 100% true, because as a musician, you can't help but understand more of the ingredients that come across in a, in a song. Yeah. You know, most, I think most people that aren't musicians, even though they might listen to the, the guitar break or the, the, the bass line, they really do focus on the lyrics and the melody because yeah. it's really the only thing that they can really latch onto. But as a musician, you're listening to all of that. You can hear the counter melody line. You can hear the way the bass went up the second verse. You can hear the way that drum feel when he came after the middle eight, after blah, blah, blah. I mean, all those things. And I like all of those things for different reasons. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a musician that just loves music. So anything will excite me if it's good. <laughs> no, I, I, I feel quite yeah similar to that. And a lot of the, the artists you mentioned there, they, they, you know, they were on my iPod back in the day when I I used to listen to an iPod. And the thing is, the thing is, I've used them all in the Raya Heap. And this is the most, this is a special thing. I was schooled to play everything, right? So I was brought up on jazz. Right, in your Raya Heap, I play jazz, right? Well, how do you play jazz? Well, I'll tell you how I play jazz. If you play, if you play a broken 16th note really fast, right? That's at that speed, it's it's a broken three sixteenth notes. Slowed down, it's ding 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 ding. But the faster you get, something has to compensate in the space times. I'm always doing them broken notes on the um ride because I don't want to do gong, 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 dong, 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 yeah. that time. I want to be free with my right hand. And it sometimes gives that a different, slightly different feel to playing just eighth notes. Totally. And the same as Afro-Cuban. I learned the Afro-Cuban 6-8. Afro-Cuban 6-8. Right. Well, when I first, uh, um, three weeks after joining Heap, I was in the studios doing the album and there was a track on there called Tears, uh, Tears of the World. And it's a shuffle. And in the middle, they didn't know what to do. Um, I can't keep it at the shuffle. It needs to go somewhere else. And of course, I'm new to the band. And I just went, excuse, excuse me. <laughs> yes. Well, well, what about what about an Afro-Cuban 6-8? And they all turned around, including the producer, and went, oh, what? I went... An Afro-Cuban 6-8. <laughs> now, the reason why is because big heavy backbeat, the phrasing came of the Afro-Cuban. Trevor followed me on the bass. And 
and then play it. I'll hear it. I'll hear it before I can work it out and see it. And it's always yeah. slowed me down because I guess one way to get around it would be to not show me the piece of music first and just to show me the, the written music and then work it out yeah. that way. But and then but I'd spend hours doing that, but maybe I'd get there. But that's probably the best. I way did to the learn. same. I did. Um, have you heard of a German uh, rock opera band called Avantasia? Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, well, I did. I did their. Um, I did their Mystery of Time album. So Eric Singer played the album before, which I can't remember the title now. Eric Singer played the album before, and I did the album after. Wow. They basically asked me because I did a um, a festival which uh, the singer was on, and he absolutely adored my playing. And he uh, said, "I want you to do the next album." So I did the next album. Well, this was all programmed drums. And he wanted it exactly like that, apart from the drum fields. Well, what a roasting that was, because they were like 150 BPM. I can't do that because of my poor little ankles, right? Anyway, um, I had to go into the studio for a week, and I had to really work hard to build up my speed on that. But because it was all programmed drum, and I had to write it all out. I had to write out the 12 tracks. Now, if someone was to see that, notation in the old days it would have been perfect because i was used to it i was doing it all the time i was being taught blah 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 blah. but because i hadn't had to read for donkey's years um you do lose it a little bit yeah i had to write out the charts and but they i knew what to play because i understood what i wrote out it wasn't technically correct but it doesn't matter because what came out was what he wanted yeah 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 yeah. exactly so there's another another form of cheating the system is to write out something that you're that you understand so that it can translate onto the drums cool that's cool i like i like your way around that that's great um right next one from gareth richards he's another welshman do you feel any pressure or did you feel any pressure in filling the shoes of such a drumming legend as Lee Kerslick? Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> even though perhaps I should have done. Yeah, no, not at all. I really mean that. And yeah. the reason why is because I, th- I think you've got to reach a level of experience. It's not a level of, oh, yeah, I'm great, I'm great. No, not like that. Nothing like that. But you've got to have an air of confidence and experience to be able to fill the shoes of someone like that. And you've got to have a certain persona about you and a certain way of playing that you know will win the day. Now, Mick's not an idiot, right? The band's not an idiot. Um, They're highly accomplished, successful musicians in a legendary band. They're not going to have some mediocre drummer. Why would they? So I knew that I had something to offer. My next test, I knew the band and everyone loved what I did. So that added to my confidence. The final one was the fans. Now, the fans won't cheat. The fans are going to tell you exactly what they think. And the fans loved me. Now, what more could I say? So that that made me relax even more, gave me more confidence to realise, okay, this is my time as a person in a legendary band. So I wasn't really concerned at all about... um, filling the shoes. I just felt, thank God, my time has arrived, but I've got to make sure I don't miss the boat. I've got to nail it. That's all I had to think about. Super but it's good. still an honour to fill his shoes because he's yes. a fantastic drummer. No, totally, totally. That's a that good answer. And um, do you have a particular favourite Uriah Heap song to play live? 
Oh, God, no, no, it just comes up a lot. The yeah, reason yeah. why is they've got so many fantastic songs with different feels and different emotions that I get into all of them. You know, I like to, I like, you know, the, the stomp of Gypsy is just great, just to, you know, it's just that right 80 odd beat PM tempo where you just, bang, 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 just uh, and then you've got Look at Yourself, which is... It's got that thing about it, you know, and then the two-handed shuffle to really... I mean, I, I sing... Uh, they're not on the on this record, Easy Living, but I sing horn parts. And the reason why I do it helps me swing. So Easy Living... And I'm going, in my head, I'm going... Because it needs to have that fantastic magic swing. You can't just play the shuffle without swinging because it no. won't swing. It won't swing, yeah, yeah. So apart from your technique, these are all tricks that uh, 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 top professionals use, tricks to gain. Yeah, if it's a dirty song, I think about fucking the missus. You know what I mean? <laughs> These are emotions that you put into elements of a song that help just magnify a little bit of that groove or whatever. If it's an aggressive song, I'm going to smash the fucking shit out of the audience. Yeah, fuck up, yeah. Yeah, it just gives you that emotion because emotion is, is, is in everything in music and people. So we should express that through our um, grooves. And I just felt it has actually helped me get right into that groove if I put those different emotions in those uh, songs amazing amazing answer might be, might be a bit odd but no 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 <laughs> perhaps that's I'm cool. an idiot <laughs> that's cool man yeah, more people need to do that and um, you've kind of touched on this a little bit but the last question from my patrons from Steve Hancock working with various artists and in particular different styles of music before joining Uriah Heap how much did this experience help develop your playing style and sound? And did these experiences change your mindset of what you could bring to the table as a drummer for any artist? Yeah, one by one. You yeah. know, one by one, you learn You learn from every, everybody. Every gig you do, you learn from those musicians. Whether the bass player can play or not, you have to tone it down to accommodate for him. If you're playing in front of the beat, you have to accommodate for it. If you've got a pushing guitarist, you've got to accommodate for it. And if you play with someone that's really good um, and they excite you and they can start to embellish your own playing and make you think different, differently, you, you take it on board. So you're taking things on board all the time. And... The great thing is that when you're playing with, let's say, successful artists, um, there's something about why they're successful that I want to bring into me. You know, they're successful for a reason. Now, why are they successful? Is it the songwriting? Is it the way they perform? Is it the way that they play? When I did, when I was with Lonnie Donegan for a little while, the way that that guy played rhythm, you know, skiffling guitar was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. he was a rubbish guitarist, but when he played, his skiffle stuff, the energy and the way he played was, you can't teach that. And the same with Adam Price. When he got on the keyboards and started playing, the feel, and with Zoot Money as well, the feel that comes out from those guys from the when they grew up in the 60s had that special 60s feel about it. You, you, you've got you to be in amongst it to understand it and start to embellish. When I first joined, uh, not first joined, when I started playing with Adam Price, um, and when Zoot Money was in the band, I remember Zoot saying to me, Russ, you've got to kind of learn that in-between thing. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, you know, the swagger that we really like, you know, guys that play in between jazz and, 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 and straight notes. I said, well, you play it for me. I need to understand it. Play it on the, on the keyboards. He played it on the keyboards. I understood it. I started playing it. He said, that's it. 
He said, now keep doing that every time we do this. <laughs> he said, that's, that's the feel that makes everybody swing. Great, brilliant. Now, I wouldn't have learned that if I had not got it from those guys. So now it's implanted as an ingredient here. And I can bring those elements in anything that I want. If, if someone's scratching their head on an idea, and I've got that idea here through playing with all of these fantastic artists, I can draw it out. That's what that's the beauty of um, uh, recordings in, in the session scene, isn't it? When they're struggling for a certain, oh, this middle bit's not working. I, I don't, does it need a bit more jungle? I don't know what it needs. And then the drummer comes up and says, what about these three or four ideas? Oh, that's the one. That's the one but yeah. if you haven't got that in your ingredients, you're struggling. Yeah. So yes is the answer. Yes, everything. Every time we do a gig, right, try and absorb the good and the bad all the time um, and use it as added ingredients to yourself. Yeah. Totally. That's amazing. Amazing answers there. I think I should just get them to ask all the questions from now on. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. be a lot it's only because I get, I get so bloody passionate about it all. And I, I'm so excited. I want to, I want to give everybody all the magic ingredients, if they are magic as possible, because you know, who doesn't like playing music? Doesn't matter what guitar you got, what an enjoyment thing it is to do. Is. Fantastic. Totally. totally. Fantastic. I agree. Um, You've touched on it a little bit, and I've kind of researched it a little bit. But what gear are you using at the moment? British, well, British drum, drum company, yeah, yeah fantastic drums. I mean, it's so meticulous the way in which they make it, and the sound is just what I like about the, the drums. Yeah, you're going to say that because you you indulge for them. No, no, not at all. I'm a professional musician. I can't hit a drum that doesn't sound any good. Can I? Yeah, you could right? play I've, any <laughs> brand you wanted, can you? Yeah, I'd play any brand I want. And let's be, let's be fair to all the brands. No one makes rubbish drums anymore. Come no. on, right? But there's other elements as an endorsee that I have to consider. Um, and that's why I don't bring up 40 companies and ask to have a business meeting. But I'm with British Drum Company. The drums sound great. Um, can't fault them at all. Uh, they, they Basically, if you want your bass drum to be big, fat, and boomy, they've got it. If you want to be tight and beefy they got it the toms sing out and the snare drums characteristics in all the different snare drums well the differences are unbelievable sometimes on some companies and i will say this the differences are minuscule you can't really hear the difference if you shut your ears right but with the, the drum company when they make um the different snare drums there really is a characteristic difference uh and, and, I, and I think that's great in the company and they're lovely people to work with so i can't fault them at all but we pasty Hell of a long time. They've been so good to me. I love all the guys at Pasty. Yeah. And I just feel as though they're the best rock symbols. Um, obviously, what I say to people is, look, you, you can't put down Sabian, mine or Pasty or Pearl or Top. You can't put any of them down. If you, Every single one of these fantastic companies have got fantastic top players playing for them. That's it. That's where it stops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they can't be crap, can they? Exactly. You know? Exactly, yeah. So it says British Drum Company, Posty, um, Codes Drumheads, yeah. which are a new company. Uh, Mike Eaton from Embrace yeah. is the co-director um, uh, of the company. And their heads are getting better and better, and they sound great. I don't have any problems on, on the road with them, and they really do make the drums sound great. So I'm well happy with the uh, code drum heads. I've got my own animal stick, which is a pellwood from a, uh, a Czech company, uh, and the consistency, as I said, is great. 
My sticks never break. Let's just put it there. Look, wow. I'll tell you why your sticks break, people. Why? Because your shoulder's tapered too early and you've got a rubbish acorn at the end. That's it. I've gone into this for years and years and years. I will put my stick up against anyone else's stick and mine will win the day. That's the end of it. Except, because I've got relatively small hands, I haven't got a thick stick. Mine are an inch longer than standard. The, the shoulder's tapered later. The weight is more towards the front end of the stick. So when I reach power and uh, speed... Speed and power is physics. More at the front end. God, I get some whip going on. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, what else? ACS in ears, they're phenomenal. I love me yeah. in ears. Save me ears, of course. Yeah. Um, Porter and Davis kick butter because they make the best one. Nice. I've never tried one. I've never. I... Oh, they're fantastic. Yeah. The dynamic range is, is beautiful on them. And you can put the whole kick through it. Yeah. So it's none of, what I hate is all that air drumming and the bass drums go. I don't want all that. I want, I want, I want to feel everything going through that. Really be dynamic and play well. So the Porter and Davis kick button is fantastic. Um, what's that? I, I think I see it in it. Yeah. Have I missed anyone? Oh, no. Oh, okay. Some protection oh, racket. Case. Oh, yeah. Oh. Is that oh, you okay. Use both? Protection racket. Yeah. Use both. Use both. Yeah, you both. Well, I need the hard cases for touring, don't I? Ah, and they need to yeah. really look after it. And the protection racket is like a little They're like, paddy, you know? I, I, I then, literally bought a few more. And they're, they're like, I literally wanted to give one to my cat to sleep in. because Yeah, it was so exactly. They're fantastic. And again, they're well, well made yeah. and they do exactly what you need them to do. And that's what you want. And a basky, of course. I, I use basky as well uh, because I hit the drums so hard. I can't have the bass drums going through to the front audience. So they go on a... A nice carpet, yeah, um, and they hold the drums nice and steady. Really good. Cool, awesome. Now some good stuff there. Some, some. I haven't some missed anyone. Otherwise, they'll have a cut me. I haven't, uh, I haven't missed anybody. <laughs> just tell everybody. Do you use any like? Do you use any like drum dampening or anything like that? Moon gels or anything like that? Or do you? Yes, yeah, so I, I use a little bit of moon gel. Um, now and again, actually, some people. Pardon? Yeah, some people are really against it. They're like leave leave them leave the drums sing, but I use a bit. Well, I it's um let's put it this way. Live, I use a bit of moon gel on my snare drum only. Right. That's all I need, just on the snare drum. In the studio, when we did the last album, we had the fantastic Jay Rustin. He's a, a knockout of a um producer, phenomenal producer in LA. And I was speaking to him about, about the drums and everything. And he said all the great, all the great words he said. I picked him up from the airport. We're driving up to the chapel up in Lincolnshire to do the album. Fantastic place it is. And um, I said to him, right, you know, I'm, I'm one of these drummers where I want to work with the producer. He said, yeah, yeah. I said, right, so you tell me what skins you like or what sort of damage. And he just stopped me. He said, no, 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 He said, I want you just to play the drums while I'm in the room and I'll tell you. I thought, that's a great start. <laughs> I don't like someone telling me their ingredients without even hearing the bloody kit. Yeah. You can't do that. That's stupid. So he heard the kit and everything. Do you know, I never even had dampening. I had, All I had was like um, uh, blankets around my two bass drums to make tunnels. Oh, yeah, So it yeah. was a little bit more secluded. I know what you mean. Not one, no moon gel anywhere. Not even on the snare drum. I said, that snare drum? My snare drum sounds fantastic. Oh, wow. But sometimes, you've got to remember this, guys. When you sit behind a kit and play it, it's got nothing to do with how it sounds. Yeah. It sounds completely different when it projects and sounds completely different going down microphones. Totally. So listen to your sound engineer. And also get someone to play it and walk 20 feet away, then listen to it again, and you get a better reflection on your kit. Now, that's totally, that's a great lesson. And it's difficult to, I guess, when if you're tinkering with your kit at home or whatever to try and tune it, it's mm. kind of pointless. 
in, in some ways, because when you put it on a stage or in a recording studio, then you can't hear it. It sounds completely different behind, like you said, it sounds completely, completely different, different behind. Than, you can get it in a ballpark. Yeah, you can get it in a but ballpark. Re- but. Once you get, once you get you again, it's experience. Once you get used to it, I can tune the kit behind the kit and I know what it's going to sound like out there. Yeah. But I've had my tech hit the kit. Even my tech, he's hit the kit. I've gone out because I always go out the front here, cool. hear my drums through the PA because the room's different every night and I just want to hear my drums. <laughs> and um, quite often, it, well, the floor time, the floor time, there's no good, it's boinging or it's flapping or whatever. And I go yeah. up there, I tune it and it's perfect. You say, how the bloody hell do you do that? <laughs> and it's through, experience, it's through experience. Yeah. You don't have to tune opposites at all, right? What you have to do is make sure it's reasonably even and then it's one lug is so sensitive that it might just need a quarter of a turn and you've eliminated the crap yeah. instead of tuning everything and making it worse. Yeah. Totally. And that, yeah, that's just a learning curve and it takes yeah. hours and hours yeah. and hours and hours and years of time to kind of learn. But no, nah, cool, man. Um, coming towards the end now then, I've got a quick, quick fire round that I've introduced. Yeah. So 10 quick questions, quick answers. So we'll, we'll start there. Uh, hot or cold weather? Hot. Day or night time? Night. Sweet or savory? Savory. Guitar or bass? Guitar. Nylon or wooden tip drumsticks? Wooden. Cool. Bonham or Peart? Bonham. Yeah. Beatles or Stones? Beatles. Dark or milk chocolate? Milk. Red or white wine? Red. Favorite time signature to play? 7 4. 7 4, nice. Or 7 8. Ooh, okay, yeah, cool. Right. So, where can people follow you online? Should they wish you to? I noticed you've got two Instagram accounts. So, which one is the right one? Either of them, really. I, okay. But Russell Russell Gilbert Drummer. I've yeah. got face, Russell Gilbert Drummer Facebook. Russell yeah. Gilbert Drummer um, on Instagram as well. Right. But they can do Russell Gilbert Instagram or Russell Gilbert um, Facebook as well because I, I have people uh, messaging me all the time on on either. So it doesn't bother me. I'm not one of these precious people that don't like my private one. Otherwise, I wouldn't put it up if I wanted it private. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Now, I, well, the one I found was Gilbrook underscore Uriah Heap on on Instagram. So is that not the, is that not an official one? Because uh, that, that's what I wanted I to clarify. Remember. That's what I wanted to clarify because I was following you anyway, and then I kind of searched you, and, and another account came up, and it had more posts on it. So I was. I was like, oh, maybe this is the right one. So I thought I'd clarify. Oh, we'll do them all. Well, no, do them all. They'll come do them all. Yeah, they'll come I don't mind. Wicked. They all come my way, and I, I try and answer as many as I can. Ah, well then, that's really nice of you, and um, no, I really appreciate the time you've taken today. So, the no, last, thanks. The last, the last question, which I ask everyone: If mm. you could create your own dream band with yourself on oh, drums, God. right? You yeah. can't use any members of Uriah Heap because that's not fair. <laughs> So how, who would you have playing the different instruments, dead or alive, if you could form a dream band, completely dream? Well, at the moment, because I'm going down the – I could probably pick different bands with different – well, I say styles. I don't style. like styles, do I? But you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. Totally. But if we're talking about rock and metal, really, it would have to be Tony Iommi. Nice. John Lord. Yeah. He's come up a few times. Um, he's come up a few times. He? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, John Lord. Um, I'm a bit stumped on the on the uh, on the 
on the bass player. Um, maybe Billy Sheen. Cool. Billy Sheen. Um, extra little guitarist, Richie Faulkner. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, my my co co drummer, Cozy Pal. Oh, yeah. That'd be good. I could feed off him. That would be amazing. And Dio. Dio. Dio singing. Yeah, you can't really. Yeah, he's incredible. Uh, or was incredible. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, Miles Kennedy, I quite like. Oh, yeah. I love Alter Bridge anyway, but yeah, Miles yeah. Kennedy, you know. Oh, we, um, my band toured with Slash featuring Miles Kennedy. I know he was amazing every night. Absolutely, yeah. On. He eats in notes every night, doesn't he? Incredible. Yeah, he looks after himself, which I think helps. Which mm. I think is another like what we were talking about earlier with the drumming. I think if you're a vocalist, it's even more important. Even more, even definitely. More. Yeah. So um, mm. yeah, he's incredible. But no, um, amazing. Really enjoyed that. I think oh, it was incredible. Um, Thank you. Stories and just insight for how how you've progressed and your aspect of of well just how, how how you should play drums or how you play music not just drums mm. but, um, yeah music that's what it's all about it's all, it's all about <laughs> it's all about the music so um no that's great and um yeah people are going to love this so thanks for taking the time on to do this and i'm sorry i no cut out halfway through that's <laughs> first right. time no, I've ever asking me. that's all right no no worries i'll let you know yeah. when it's up and um yeah, and it'd be amazing if you wouldn't mind sharing it for me on 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 your channel. Yeah, of course. That'd yeah, no great. problem. Great. So, hopefully, we'll meet one day somewhere. I'd love to. Yeah, I was going to say I'd love to, or if whenever we go back touring, if we ever cross paths at a festival, or I'll come and see you play. I'd love to come and see. Yeah, you exactly. Awesome. Yeah, no problems at all. Great. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. Yeah. Yeah, nice one, Dane. Right. Thanks yeah. ever so much. And bye bye. Bye bye. Cheers, Russell. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Russell from Uriah Heap. If it was your first episode of the podcast, please go check out the other ones. Um, there's loads of them so far with some great guests. And please consider subscribing to the podcast on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're able to, please leave a comment or leave a review because that really helps boost the stats and it means that more people are likely to find the podcast which would really help me out if you'd really 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 want to help me out you can support me on patreon which is patreon.com forward slash drum for the song for as little as three pounds per month and then you can get access to a bonus episode every month you get early access to the episodes as well and if you join the slightly higher tiers you can get more again, including a monthly video call with myself, which is always great fun, and discount from motorheadbeer.com. You get 20% discount there, which is great, and get access to a competition every month for a bunch of free Motorhead beer stuff. So how, how cool is that? I think it's really cool. Thanks to those guys. While we're on the topic of Patreon, I'd like to thank my top-tier Groove Master patrons, and I'm going to read them off a list now because the list is getting longer, which is really cool. So, a big thanks to Dean S. Monaghan, Rudy Pauly, Dan Hurst, Gareth Richards, Steve Hancock, Paul W. Grashmere, Charlie Farley, Kenny Kendrick, and Yari Vasanen. I'm sorry if I pronounce your names wrong, but there you go. But uh, yeah, 
it's always good to chat to those guys on the video calls every month. The other thing you could do is follow me on social media on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow my personal page, Dane underscore drums, or you can follow me at drum for the song on Facebook. You can search for Dane Campbell drummer and you can like my page on there, or you can join the drum for the song official Facebook group to keep up to date. And we all have conversations about various topics and lots of memes on there and stuff like that. But yeah, it's great. Great to keep up to date. Um, you can check out my website as well, which is www.drumforthesong.com. And I've got some merchandise on there and more information about the podcast and the different episodes. So please check that out. So I think we'll call that the day for this episode. So I'll see you next time. And if you're a drummer, don't forget to drum for the song. Mm-hmm.